Good morning, Parkway Church. Nativity scene takes us on the journey of a lifetime today. It's a transcontinental journey over a number of years, led by a star to find a Savior. Today's nativity scene tells us the story of the wise men. It's a story that proclaims who Jesus is, and it's a story that inspires us to pursue Jesus personally here and now. And I am so glad you're here today to dig into this story and to learn and to grow together. My name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here. And whether you're gathered at Parkway Port Lavaca, Parkway Lone Tree, Parkway Victoria, or what I assume to be is a huge crowd at Parkway Online today, I am so glad that you are here with us in this moment. Because we all need the story of the wise men. The story that reminds us that the baby that was born and laid in the manger was born to be our king, our leader, our Lord. And that we can all grow in pursuit of Jesus. We can all grow and find God because he's not playing hide and seek with us. He's found by all who seek him, even wise men coming from afar. So if you brought your Bible, we're going to read their story and dig into their story together from Matthew chapter 2. Here's where the story of the wise men begins. Matthew 2 verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Let's pause right there. So Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Because Mary and Joseph had traveled to Joseph's hometown to pay their taxes, to be counted in the census, the first census since Quinius was governor, and the baby was born. And the baby was born in Bethlehem, and who was king? King Herod was the ruler. And Magi came from the east. Why would Matthew include all of these details? Because this is a real birth in a real place in a real time with real people. So the story of our Savior is confirmed once again by history. The story of our Savior is confirmed once again by real-life locations and real-life people. And Jesus enters into our story through Bethlehem. And magi from the east come. One of the things, you, you might call them wise men. I call them the wise guys. The wise guys showed up from the east. Magi, as they were known, were influential students of the stars. They would gaze in the heavens and see changes, and they knew that certain changes announced certain things. And there was a certain star in the sky that announced that the king of the Jews had been born. So when they saw that star, they began a transcontinental journey from the east. This was a trip that likely took them not days or months, but years. This is a trip that I believe took them two years to make. And as they made this trip, they came from the east and they brought Jesus, you know the story, they brought Jesus gifts, three gifts. So our tradition and your nativity scene at home has three wise men, but Custom is, and tradition says, and logic dictates, that there were likely far more than three people on this journey to find Jesus chasing the star in the sky. Three gifts does not equal three wise men. It was likely a large entourage. I mean, think about it. 
If, if you were going to travel for two years, would you just take three guys and gifts? Or would you have food? Would you have like everything you need for that journey? You would need your wife to come along so that you would have everything you need from that journey if you're like me. And so this was not just three guys on a walk. This was a large entourage of people on a journey to find the one that had been born king of the Jews. And so they came to Jerusalem and they asked, Matthew 2 verse 2, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So there was a star that rose and their journey began. And they came from the east and they went to Jerusalem. And when they made it to Jerusalem, they asked the question, Where is the one who's been born to be king of the Jews? So there was a sign in heaven that is like no other sign in heaven before and like no other sign in heaven since. This sign was pointing to a stable in Bethlehem. Just like the unique announcement to Mary and Joseph, just like the unique announcement to the shepherds by angels. There's a one-time star in the sky that points Magi from the east to a baby in a barn. The Magi made it to Jerusalem and said, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? Let's pause right there because I want you to know this. They came to worship the one that they would find. These wise men saw the star and traveled so they could worship the one who's been born king of the Jews. They weren't the only ones who saw the star in the sky. But they were the only ones who saw the star in the sky and acted on it to come worship the one who's been born king of the Jews. And this is great news for you and for me. These men were wise because they pursued God through a star in the sky and they found him. You might say, Mike, I, I understand Mary having great faith. I can get that. I can have great faith. I truly trust God. Mike, I understand Joseph and his ability to follow God, even when the angel says, you know, you're going you're to raise God's son. That is pressure. But Mike, I could see myself following God in my life and depending upon him. Mike, I could see myself even like the shepherds coming and seeing how good God is and going and telling others. about. I could see that. But these men who saw a star in the sky and acted on it, that level of wisdom is not a part of my life. That level of wisdom is not a part of my family tree. Like you might look and say, my family tree is filled with people that make unwise, like horrible decisions. I could never be a wise guy or a wise gal. Let me just remind you, these wise men weren't born as the wise guys. Like they weren't laid in the, in the, in the, in the, in the what do you call that place? The nursery, there you go. They weren't laid in the nursery of the hospital and they go, who are those three young men? Oh, those are the wise men. No, they weren't. They didn't roll into junior high and, and have a little bit of junior high attitude, but have the nickname of the wise men. They didn't join a fraternity in college and all of a sudden, hey, look at those wise guys. You know, No, they became wise. And they became wise through a pursuit of God from a star that they saw in the sky. So you and I, no matter how jacked our family tree is, 
No matter how whacked our family tree is, no matter how unwise our family tree is, we can become wise too. Because our wisdom isn't found in what was handed to us. Our wisdom is found in who we are pursuing. And that's God. So there's some really good news there. If you look and say, Mike, wisdom isn't my thing, you can grow in wisdom. Mike, wisdom's not my family's thing. You can grow in wisdom. That's really good news. But I also have some bad news. If you say that, Mike, my family tree is not full of people who make good, wise decisions, the bad news is this. They're all coming to your house this week. That's the bad news. But as far as you and your house... You can grow in wisdom as far as you and your house. Wisdom isn't what I was handed. Wisdom is what I am becoming because I am pursuing God personally. They became wise and their pursuit led them to Jesus. So they're in Jerusalem and they ask King Herod, where's the one that's been born to be king of the Jews? And Matthew 2, 3 through 8 tells this story. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the chief priests and all the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And now they're going to quote Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which is an Old Testament prophecy that points to where Jesus would be born. Verse 6, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. So the wise men come with their entourage into Jerusalem. Everybody notices. And the question is asked, where's the one who's been born to be king of the Jews? And as Herod hears that one that's been, there's one that's been born to be king of the Jews, he's disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. Why would they be disturbed? They would be disturbed because the power structure of their society was about to be challenged. Why would they be disturbed? Well, King Herod is king, and if there's one that's been born to be king of the Jews, he will take Herod's place in the life of the Jews. One thing I know about kings, they don't like to give up their kingdom. And so Herod is disturbed, the people are disturbed. Why would the people be disturbed? Because their security, because their society would be challenged if the power structure of their day was challenged. Just like some in our day feel uncertainty since our president was impeached this week. Just like our society feels uncertain, has questions, and there's disagreement because our president was impeached this week. There was a little tension. There was a little turmoil. There was a little trouble. And yet in the midst of that tension, in the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of the trouble, there's one born that was born to bring peace between God and man and peace between men and each other. And his name is Jesus. And they say that he was born in Bethlehem, this little sleepy town of Bethlehem. And Herod tells the wise men, Herod tells them in verse 7, he called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, two years. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for this child, and as soon as you find him, report to me that I too may go and worship him. Now, if you keep reading the story of the wise men and Herod's response to Jesus' birth, you'll know that he had no desire to truly worship Jesus. Instead, he had every desire to protect his throne. 
He didn't want to worship the baby. He wanted to ensure that the baby couldn't take his rightful place of leadership, of kingship, the shepherd leader of his people. How do I know that? Because Herod eventually would kill all kids two years and younger. To protect his throne, he cost families their offspring. This man didn't want to worship God. This man wanted to be God. After they had heard the king, verse 9, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures. It's really interesting. We've made Christmas all about the gifts and we use the wise men as an excuse for that. But what did they do before they gave gifts? What did they do? They worshiped. What did they do before they gave gifts? They kneeled low and they worshiped. They said, you are the one that's been born to be king. And then they gave gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I don't know if any of your kids on their Christmas list this year said, you know what? From Amazon, if you would order me some gold, some frankincense and some myrrh, I would greatly appreciate it. And somebody right now is thinking, I wonder if I can get gold, frankincense, and myrrh from Amazon. And of course you can. You can have it here by tomorrow. <laughs> and you can go ahead and ship that gold to 108 Sandstone. Why did they give gold? Well, because gold was a gift fitted for a king. Something about royalty receiving gold. Royalty receiving the respect of that gift. That gold very likely also funded Jesus' earthly ministry. It gave frankincense, which is an incense used by priests in the temple. That smoke would remind people that they're in the presence of God when they're at the temple. That frankincense would remind us that Jesus came to bring us not just into the presence of God, but to have peace with God. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh is a fragrant ointment that would be used before you bury a body. And that's a foreshadowing, that's a point to the future, some 33 years later, when Jesus would die and his body would be treated. The women that came and found Jesus on, or were looking for Jesus on Easter Sunday and found not a body, not a corpse, but found an empty tomb. You know what they were likely carrying? They were likely carrying myrrh to treat that body because they didn't know they had a risen savior. They thought they had a dead teacher. But the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh all points to the fact that this baby was born to be our king, to be our leader, to be our Lord, to be our savior. And the king knew it. And the king wanted to do everything he could, Herod did, to protect his throne. Because kings hate to give up their kingdom. So what happened? Matthew 2, verse 12. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, speaking of the wise men, they returned to their country by another route. Having been warned in a dream. You see, these men were not only seeking God, following that star. These men were being led by God. 
It's one of the reasons that we encourage all believers to continue to seek God, not just a one-time seeking and finding, but a continued seeking and finding, because when you seek God, you are led by God. And there are a couple of pursuits of Jesus that I highly encourage everyone here to consider. Whether you are at Lone Tree or Port Lavaca or online, I encourage you to consider your pursuit of Jesus today. Maybe you are like me 30 years ago, and you've never considered the fact that you need a Savior, that you're a sinner who needs a Savior, and that there was one born who would live a perfect life and then die a criminal's death on the cross. He took your place. Then you'd be raised again from the dead. Maybe you are like me 30 years ago. I can't believe that it was 30 years ago on December 27th that I first said yes to Jesus. 30 years ago. I was three years old that day. I don't know why you're laughing. That's not a, it's not a real good joke. I was 17 and never heard that Jesus loved me enough to die for me. Have you pursued fact that this baby isn't just a reason for our families to get together. This baby isn't just a good excuse to throw a great party. This baby was born to be your savior. Have you considered that? On December 27, 1989, I knew nothing about the Bible. I knew nothing about anything except for the fact that I needed a savior. And when I said yes to Jesus, he saved me and I've never been the same and I have no regrets. And then how about, how are you pursuing Jesus' believer in Christ? Because my pursuit of Jesus didn't end whenever he saved me. My pursuit of Jesus didn't end when he promised heaven is my forever home. That began the ultimate pursuit of my life. How are you pursuing him, believer in Jesus? Because how you pursue him will help you grow in wisdom. How you pursue him will give you that ongoing life change that you so desire, how you pursue him will help you be a difference maker in the world around you. How you pursue him will help you to live a life that is glorifying and honoring to him. And the wise men, what did they do? Well, first they followed the light that God gave them. And we know that the word of God is the light into our path. They followed the light of the star. What else did they do? When they came to a crossroads, they received direction from the very word of God. Micah 5, verse 2, where's the baby? Baby is in Bethlehem. Let's go to Bethlehem. And what did they do? They followed the word. They didn't question it. They didn't doubt it. They didn't assume that they were smarter than the word. I mean, they're magi and all, but they took the word of the prophets and went with it. How's your pursuit of God today, believer in Jesus? Because their experience some 2,000 years ago, instructs us today on how we can live wisely and how we can pursue God and how we can rightly orient our lives to the baby that was born to be our Savior and to be our Lord. So the first thing I want you to take away today, aside from the fact that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, aside from the fact that the Magi worshipped and gave gifts because he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, I want you to know that wisdom comes when we seek God. If the wise men became wise, and the Bible says even Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in the favor of all men and women. 
If wisdom comes with applied learning over time, wisdom begins with our pursuit or our seeking of God. Proverbs 3, verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. And I love this verse, not just because it rhymes. Don't be wise in your own eyes. But also it shows you how to to not be wise in your own eyes. It says, fear the Lord and shun evil. How do you know if you're making decisions, if you're making plans, if you're living life in such a way that you're simply being wise in your own eyes? Because there are plans that we can craft. There are ideas that we have. There are desires that we, that, that, there are things that we want and things that we desire. How do I know if I'm being wise in my own eyes or if I'm honoring God with my wants and needs, if I'm honoring God with my plans, if I'm honoring God with my attitudes and my actions? How do I know, wise in my own eyes or not? What well, all comes down to this. Are you fearing God? And are you shunning evil? One of the mistakes of the modern church is that we have said that Jesus is my friend. Jesus is my homeboy. Maybe you even saw a bumper sticker back in the day that said, Jesus is my co-pilot. Let me tell you this, friends. If Jesus is your co-pilot, you're sitting in the wrong seat. Because he is the leader and the Lord. And yes, he is our friend. But we must have a healthy awe and respect for our friend. We must have not just this good old boy relationship, but we must have a relationship that says, Jesus, you are my friend because you gave your life for me. You are my friend, but I'm also respectfully in awe of you. You are my friend, but you are also my Lord. You are my friend, but you are also the one who will come again and judge me. You are my friend, but you're my Lord first and foremost. We have an awe, a respect for God, and we shun evil. How do you know if you are being wise in your own eyes? Talk to God, and then talk to godly people. If you see people that are raising kids like you would like to raise, you go, hey, I'm going to talk to them and get some wisdom in this area. If you see somebody succeeding in an area of life in holiness and righteousness, and you say, I want to do that too. I want to go talk to them. Somebody at work, I'm going to go talk to them. A friend, I'm going to go talk to them. I'm going to seek wisdom. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying go find a mentor so you can be a better parent. I'm not saying go find a mentor so you can go earn a buck. What I'm saying is go find somebody who can share godly wisdom with you. Seek God through their wisdom. Because your godly wisdom matters more than any mentor-mentee relationship you could build. Your godly wisdom counts more than anything else that you pursue when it comes to finding God. In his next steps for you. Proverbs 8 verse 17 gives me great hope. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. You know that God is not playing hide and go seek with you? It says here, I love those who love me. Do you love him? Yeah. And I am found by those who seek me. He is not playing hide and go seek with you. He is playing, pursue me and find me. He is saying, I'm the worst at hiding because I want to be found. Back in the day, there was this Christmas card. 
that used to say wise men still seek him. Realize about 20 years ago, Christmas cards used to come with spiritual meaning. Like you might see wise men still seek him or joy to the world and the Savior's been born. Now Christmas cards in many ways have been reduced to an update on our families. Am I right? Do you get a lot of Christmas cards this year? This year that has pictures of family? Look how beautiful my kids are. My kids are beautiful. I sent out one of these I'm proud of my kids cards. Not sure it's a Christmas card. But I'm proud of my kids. Hear what I'm saying? And the card from back in the day is still so true today. Wise men still seek him. Because when you seek him, you will find him. When you pursue him, he's not hiding from you. He is looking to be found. The baby that was born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger, 30 years later, said these words. Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I don't know how long your journey of seeking and finding God will be, but I know that he will always be found. For the wise men, they had a journey of two years. I don't know how long your journey is going to be to seek and find, but I know what you should do along the way. You should ask God, through prayer, to meet your need, to provide wisdom, to provide whatever it is you're looking for. And you don't give up on that ask, and you continue to seek him. There are some times when we pray for something and God answers our prayer immediately. Yea, God, you have asked and he has answered. But there are other times you need to continue to seek. And what's the promise? He will be found. And then there are other times when you need to do some obnoxious seeking. You need to knock on that door. You need to knock on the door of heaven and say, God, I am not giving up on you. I'm not giving up on what I'm praying for. I want an answer. I want to learn. I need your wisdom. I need your provision. I need your healing. I'm doing some obnoxious asking, some obnoxious seeking. I am knocking. And what's the Bible say? The door will be opened. I don't know how long you're going to have to ask, seek, and knock. But I know that when you do, the Lord will be found. There have been three seasons in my life where I have had to do a lot of asking, seeking, and knocking. My senior year of college, I met this beautiful girl. And when I first saw her, I thought, she might be the one. It took Christy about a year to catch up to my instantaneous love affair with her. But in that season, I mean, there's no, in my world, there's no bigger decision besides believing in Jesus than who am I going to choose to marry. And so in that season, I was asking God, God, is she the one? I was seeking God. God, can I love her and love you at the same time? And then I was doing a lot of knocking I would show up at her house every day. Some call it stalking. I called it dating. All I was going to do is show up until she told me not to come again. And that's what I've done ever since. We're like almost 30 years into this thing. It's awesome. Ask, seek, knock. 
Then there was a time when I was trying to discern God's will. And I should have this one played out. I met a, a guy that was working at a, a camp with me one summer. And he was from this startup church in South Texas. It was called Parkway Baptist Fellowship. They were meeting in the mall of all places. And he was telling me about this little church, about 150 people, that was, that was reaching people that were far from God and they were having fun doing it. And he said, second night I met him, he said, we're looking for a youth pastor. You need to come be our youth pastor. I said, I'm not going to be your youth pastor. I, I've got it. I'm going to finish my master's degree at Truett Seminary. Then I'm going to get my PhD. I'm going to be 26 with a PhD. I don't know what a 26-year-old would do with a PhD, but that was my plan. And so he said, okay. That night he called the senior pastor and said, hey, Scott, I found our youth guy. And Scott told him, go get him. So each night at the camp, Andy would roll out more uh, like amazing things about this church. Back in the day, the bulletin used to be 11 by 17. Funny, the smaller the church, the bigger the bulletin. But he rolled it out for me. It looked good. And he's like, you know, you, your name could be here. Like, I, no. And so I said, no. He kept seeking. About every two weeks, he would call me. So you ready yet? Nope. And he'd hang up. You ready yet? Nope. He'd hang up. And this was before cell phones. So he was actually calling the church that I was employed with and saying, are you ready yet? Nope. One Monday, about five months later, he said, are you ready yet? And I said, maybe. He said, okay, next Monday, let's meet. Sugarland's an hour and a half for you. It's an hour and a half for us. We'll meet at Macaroni Grill there at the fountains. You know the place? I was like, of course I know the place. And then he called back about 30 minutes later. And he said, hey, can you meet us today? Forget next week, Mike. I'm knocking right now. Will you come meet us today? Ask, seek, knock. And I, I sure am glad that Andy didn't give up on his pursuit of God's next youth guy for Parkway Baptist Fellowship, which became Parkway Church, which became who we are today. I'm so glad that Andy didn't give up. And then two years ago, the third time, my daughter got sick. Doctors didn't have answers. She continued to worsen. Nobody could tell us why. So we asked God when she first got sick and was hospitalized, God, heal her. She continued to get sick, but we didn't give up on God. We continued to pursue him. We were seeking after him. God, even if this is a lifetime disease for her, God, even if our plans and our dreams and our hopes for her change because of her illness, God, we're still seeking you. We would knock on the door of heaven with our small group and say, we need your prayers. And I would pray with the advisors, we need your prayers. We're knocking on the door of heaven. Ask, seek, knock. I don't know how long your journey is, but I know what you should do along the way in your journey. And I've just shared with you three stories from my life that all ended like I wanted them to end. I married the girl, I got the job, and my daughter is healed. But you know, there have been stories where I have asked, where I have sought God, and where I've knocked on the door of heaven, and he didn't answer as I had prayed. He didn't respond as I had sought. He didn't open the door as I was expecting. But you know, in each of those cases, when I pursued God, what did I find? I found him. In each of those cases, when he opened the door, what did I see? I saw him. 
So what do we do on our journey? We ask, we seek, we knock, because wisdom comes when we seek God. Then last one, very quickly. Wisdom changes us when we obey God. When you know the right thing to do, when you know the wise thing to do, when you know the divine direction that God is providing, when you know what you should do according to His will and His word, nothing changes until you actually do it. Wisdom changes us when we live according to wisdom and we obey God. Proverbs 1 verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but what do fools do? Fools despise wisdom and the instruction of the Lord. Right now in your life, are you living like the wise guys who are pursuing God with the light he has shown them? who are pursuing God, directed by His Word, ready to obey. Are you fearing God and living wisely? Or are you on the other side of that coin and you're like a fool who's despising the wisdom, who's despising the instruction of the Lord? In the story of the wise men, we see a hero in the wise men. We see a savior in Jesus, and we see a villain who's despising the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He is Herod. Because kings don't like to give up their kingdom, he is despising knowledge and despising wisdom and the instruction of the Lord. How are you doing giving up your kingdom to God? The baby born in Bethlehem was born to live on the throne of your life, believer in Jesus. How are you doing giving up the kingdom of your life? Are you despising wisdom and instruction from the Lord? Or are you saying, humbly, God, I will pursue you. Humbly, God, I will worship you. God, humbly, I will find you and you will lead me. See, wisdom isn't something we're born with. Wisdom is something that we find as we pursue God and as we allow Him to change us according to His wisdom and perfect plan for our life. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open our Bibles, to learn and to grow together today. God, in this moment now, help us to make commitments that are loving and honoring to you. Church, as we pray now, I want to encourage those of us who are believers in Jesus just to ask God for the desire to continually pursue him. Maybe you've given up or slowed down on your daily pursuit of God, your moment-by-moment pursuit. Maybe the journey's been too long for you and you're no longer seeking him. Today is a day to recommit to seeking God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength. Today is a day to recommit to the life-changing, life-giving pursuit of Jesus. And maybe you need to also confess where you have been despising the instruction and despising the wisdom of God. Maybe there are places where you're not fearing God and shunning evil, but you are disrespecting God and enjoying the evil. Maybe you need to confess that and repent of that to God in this moment. 
As the church prays, if you've never believed in Jesus for life, I encourage you to make today your day. Like I was at 17, you are a sinner who needs a Savior, and Jesus is the Savior of the world. If today's your day to believe, you can mark it with a prayer. This act of faith, Lord, the Lord Jesus says, is the only thing that can save you. Your faith, your belief in him. If today's your day to believe, let's mark it with a prayer you can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life.